All of the government programs that we don't like are funded by theft. All of the government programs that we do like... Oh, sorry, there aren't any. Government is the reason that healthcare is expensive. Government is the reason you can't go to college. Taxation is theft. And welcome back to Taxation is Theft, the show that talks about all the ways the government is ripping you off and using your own money to hire people to assault you and steal from you and harass you when you're just trying to get to work, for freak's sake. Broadcasting live on Facebook and YouTube from an underground bunker deep within the jungles of Mexico. I'm Dan Taxation is Theft Berman, former candidate for President of the United States, currently in the race for Governor of Texas. And today, I have an awesome guest, Victor Hinojosa. He is a former membership coordinator for the LP Texas and currently a PhD student of political science at Texas Tech. Um, We're going to get into some really interesting conversations about um, why the hell the libertarians aren't winning these damn elections. Crazy, crazy potheads with fiscally fiscally conservative potheads. Anyways, before we get started, of course, um, if you're watching this live stream, please make sure you like and share. Share it everywhere. Start a, start a watch party. Invite all your friends so that you can ask questions and throw Rotten Tomatoes at us in the comments um, because we do read those. And yes, if you troll us, I might even read them live on air. Um, and of course, um, ask your questions if you have anything interesting that you want to know from myself or Victor. And of course, head on over to taxationistheft.info. That's our really awesome swag store where you can get one of these awesome, awesome, awesome hats, Taxation is Theft, and a flag, because um, your front, the front of your house is not complete without a giant Taxation is Theft flag waving in the wind, pissing off all of those snowflakey Trump supporters who just lost, um, and probably a bunch of Biden supporters. And probably some Bernie supporters, too. Um, Not that we like spreading hate and pissing people off, but come on, taxation is theft. And now, on to the show. Victor, how's it going? It's going really good, Dan. Good to see you. Thank you for having me on the show again. It's been about a good couple years, I think, since I was last on. So it feels good to be back with you, man. Yeah. Um, And um, it's... uh, you're you're interesting because I know I met you like I, I think it was at I think it was at the national convention no in Nola Texas well yeah it was at the Texas State first and then we ran into each other at the yeah. national convention in Nola yeah mm-hmm. and um and uh, yeah you've always got something really interesting to talk about so um and here we are we were just like bullshitting before we started the show and uh, of course I'm like. I'm like, yeah, well, we can just talk about this. Um, I, I, I'm just going to throw one thing out there. And then, like, next thing you know, we're, like, going all the way down the rabbit hole. And um, you just missed like, half of the podcast yeah. because we didn't we didn't start. Right. It's like, oh, shit, we actually have a show to talk about here, right? <laughs> we go on. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so we're going to try to reenact some of that. Um, sure. But, uh, but so let's – where do we begin? <laughs> I guess let's go ahead and just start with just the election. I mean, I think we can go ahead and just talk about that. Um, You know, this election was um, really competitive for all sides that were involved. Um, It was really hectic for a lot of people that were involved. And um, I guess for the Libertarian Party, I think 
it was, you know, before COVID, you know, we had the presidential race for us heating up, you know, you, Vermin Supreme, along with uh, many other candidates that expressed interest for getting this nomination. Uh, very competitive. Yes, my cat is in the background. She may say hi every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> she may join us, but you know, and then, you know, COVID, COVID-19 hit and then that kind of threw just the party and champ, you know, just in a little bit of disarray along with the rest of the country. And we ended up moving our national convention from Austin to I believe Orlando and delegates are being virtual. Everything's thrown up. And then all of a sudden we, um, we have Joe Jorgensen as our nominee. And so um, a lot of you guys that had, you know, campaigned for, I think, a year, year and a half, 18 months, pretty much, you know, um, it kind of just put you guys in a position where we're just like, okay, like, I guess we're just, everyone kind of forgot that we were campaigning for president for a while after the COVID crisis happened. Um, but, you know, I think that given all of that, and then just given that where the party had kind of went throughout the course of this election, I think that overall, uh, depending on who you ask, but I think overall, given um, just the, vote, the amount of votes that we we're able to take away in these certain states, uh, Joe's margin of the votes that she was able to obtain from these certain states um, generally were outweigh the margin of differential spread between Trump and Biden, I think is a success even in on itself for the party. Um, but, you know, I guess sooner or later, we're going to talk about how we basically can move the party forward so that we can actually win, you know, these damn potheads and these, these gays, all they want is freedom and they just want to leave you the hell alone. How can we not get them elected? So I'm looking forward to that discussion later. Right. Yeah. And, and this, you bring up a really good point too. If it weren't for those, um, for those idiots wasting their vote on Trump who could never win, then we, the libertarians would have won the election. That's Absolutely. It. Yeah. You got to stop wasting your votes on, on the old two parties. This yeah, is what happens. I agree. I think that the concept, you know, and I think a lot of people don't understand where that concept first originated. The concept of a wasted vote did not start with the Libertarian Party. It started back in 2000 when Ralph Nader had supposedly stolen the election from Gore. And then ever since, you know, Gore went through his ordeal in 2000, they were saying, oh, don't vote third party. That's a wasted vote. So that concept is not is barely even 20 years old. And it's like I think that is the biggest lie the biggest facade that the mainstream media and the d's and the r's could have ever told to the american people because i think the only wasted vote um that you do is kind of like what you had mentioned earlier it's like you know people voting for the same people that really don't care about you over and over and just being in denial over and over about this process about this red and blue mentality is going to always protect you is a facade and it's a it's a wasted vote in on itself for people to continue to vote for these two parties if they're not going to change and if they're just going to become more tyrannical no matter who's in power and it, it's it's also I mean, if you think about it, it's just sore loser mentality. Um, Absolutely. You know, if, if, if this would have happened, we would have won. If that would have, and it's like, okay, ultimately, let's look at this election. More people voted for Biden. I mean, arguably, people, people who, who like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm usually a Democrat, but I like this Joe person. Right. Um, they could have wasted their vote as well. So, like, Absolutely. So, like, ultimately, more people decided that they liked Joe Biden than liked Trump or Joe or anybody else. And right. so, like, so it's just, it's easy for the losers to say, oh, well, it was because of the libertarians. Oh, it was because of the vote counters and the voter fraud and this and that. And, and you never hear the winners complain, by the way. But, but they're always – and what's funny, um, 
uh, my mom used to say this all the time because uh, everybody used to, like, my parents used to play poker and they'd have their little group. Um, and uh, and uh, I remember I was playing with them one night. I was a kid, right? And I'm playing with them. And I was like, man, if this, if this card would have been a seven of diamonds, I would have had a straight flush. And my mom said, yeah, and if the queen had balls, she'd be the king. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and if, there, and if there was only two parties running in the race, then nobody could have spoiled the vote. And if Trump and, and, and Joe weren't running, then, then, yeah, the libertarian would have won. And uh, if the giant meteor would have hit, then nobody would have cared who won. <laughs> like, yeah, there's if, 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 right. if, 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 like, who cares? Stop being a sore loser. This is, this is what happened. And I get it. Like, election fraud, like, I don't want to just rub that one out because, like, yeah, we need to make sure we're not having election fraud in our elections. At the same time, it's like, if they're that close, see, this is the problem. This is the problem I see. If they're that close then even if you have no election fraud, 50% of the country is going to screw over the other 50% of the country. <laughs> Unless we recognize that the president should not be that powerful <laughs> that like, that like whether it's this guy or that guy, whether, whether like it's down to one vote. Wasn't there a movie about that? There was like one voter in one swing state and like they were like just like both presidents were like campaigning for this one guy because he was the last person to vote. And he was just like, well, I'm going to take my time and decide. And it's like, it shouldn't be that important. Like the, you've got a constitution, you've got laws you're supposed to follow. If you follow the constitution and you follow the laws, it really shouldn't make any difference at all. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. No, no, no. I I agree with everything that you had to say. No. And it's, it's absolutely true. You know, it's just, that really is ultimately what it is. It's just, it's a, you don't hear from the winners, you know, that, oh, like you're not hearing from Biden. Oh my gosh, the libertarians took votes from us. You're hearing more of it from the Republicans that are trying to find something to blame because they weren't able to connect to the voters that they initially wanted to get anyway. And Joe ultimately got those voters. But I think that, you know, it, it like, it doesn't matter who wins. Like I come, I've already accepted the the hard reality as I voted for the first time, you know, 12 years ago when I was a senior, I voted for Obama. And uh, yeah, that's when my career, my political journey, I know. Yeah. And as a, (laughs) as a, as an 18 year old uh, Hispanic male whose family never went to college, you know, and you have this awesome, cool, youthful African-American from Illinois, that's just saying, Hey, you know, you, you can have all the power you want. Your dreams are good. You know, free education, free healthcare. That sounds awesome. And, um, Ultimately, what ends up happening, nothing changes. Um, We see throughout the course, I think one of the biggest things that the reason why we see such, um, you know, during the Trump administration, we saw such harsh division. We saw a lot of harsh rhetoric. We saw a lot of tribalism between, you know, whether or not you were red versus blue. And I think ultimately that um, hatred and that anger comes down to an anger of the system itself. Because I think a lot of people think that as soon as there was a, I posted this, it was from volunteerism in action, but basically it says something that really struck to me. And I think it'll strike a lot of interest in a lot of people is that ultimately, whenever we've had our presidential elections, the moment people have voted at the ballot box for president, they ultimately think that if my person wins or if my team wins, 
all of a sudden, like a magic wand, I'm going to get the society that my candidate had told me I was going to get. And then ultimately, we learned that that's not true. And though President Trump might like to think that I could just do an executive order and I can get whatever society I want. Ultimately, we have institutions in this country. We have branches of government. We have Congress. We have the Senate. We have state legislatures. We have local uh, leaders. So all of these different mechanisms come into play where ultimately, um, they tend to move a lot slower. And I think that's where we see the lack of progress for um, some of the people that do feel disenfranchised by these two major parties. Um, but then at the same time, even though they feel disenfranchised by the two major parties, they feel very unrepresented. They still ultimately wanna vote for a red or a blue. Um, you know, that's, that's just my take on it. That's how I tend to see, you know, where we've gotten from and where we see that there's ultimately no change from either buddy either party that gets elected president for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one, one thing I was campaigning on was, was kind of to that idea that it really doesn't matter if we win, if we don't change the mentality of the people and what the people want, then nothing's ever going to change because ultimately, like even if you don't win, if you change the mentality of the people to want freedom and to want less government, then at the very least, the two, ma the two major parties are going to start pandering. Um, and when they start pandering and not delivering on their promises, which, I mean, can you even call them promises? Can we just call them lies? Um, when they don't deliver, then people are going to get pissed off and they're going to get voted out. And that's going to that's gonna continue over and over and over again. Um, but if if people don't have that understanding or or that those desires then these guys are just going to keep getting elected like you know congress has a 90 percent disapproval rate probably higher by now yes. but it's like why do they keep getting reelected? and it's because every single voter out there or most of them anyway thinks oh yeah congress is trash there's there's you know whatever 300 and something congressmen they're all trash except for mine mine is mine is awesome he's in there oh, yeah. putting up the good fight and it's like, no, yours is just as trash as every, everybody else's. He's just pandering to you a different way. Um, he's, he's proposing legislature that he knows is never going to pass so that he can tell you, well, we'll try again next year and you'll keep voting for him. It's bullshit. No, it, it totally is. And it, it's like this, like it, Congress is very particular in and in, in of itself. Congress is its own entity of practice when it comes to trying to appease their constituents because it's like, uh, for example, the coronavirus stimulus bill, the CARES Act, whenever they first implemented that, uh, if you actually go and if you look at the legislation, I mean, who have, who the hell has time to, to read over a thousand pieces of page legislation, but it's like, not all the funds went to coronavirus help. Uh, we have this thing, what we call in our discipline pork. And basically it's where, you know, yes, this is called the CARES Act. We're supposed to be putting all the funds, allocating this to the coronavirus victims, businesses and what have you. But I kind of want a million dollars so I can build a bridge at my hometown for my city. Or I want, you know, $500,000 so that I can, you know, say, oh, hey, I started, you know, a boys and girls club in the metro. You know, that's what we call pork. And a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of pork that's given out in all pieces of legislation. Uh, it's, it's basically like bribes. That's basically what they are. It's like, hey, I'll only vote to help my constituents if I get what I want, just so that I have something to go back to my 
constituency and say, oh, hey, I did this for you, even though I may not have talked to you in two years since the last time I, you elected me or whenever I was campaigning, I got us to build a new bridge or I got us funding to fix, you know, our broken down inner city, even though my version of fixing an inner city is just, you know, remodeling one building of the neighborhood or something. So it's just they they are basically these worthless people <laughs> in, a, in a sense of, you know, it, it's never really about achieving the ultimate goal or fulfilling their promises to their constituents. It's just, how can I just make myself look good just so that when it's election time, because once these people get in Congress, they're automatically in re-election mode every single time. And so it's just something that they can use so that they can go out and say, hey, I did this for you, elect me again. And it's, it's terrible. It's really deceitful, too, how they name these bills. I mean, the CARES Act. Like, if you don't vote for it, you don't care about America. Like, that's... No, you're right. I mean, the Patriot Act, like, the like, ooh, yes, I'm a patriot. We have to support this. Um, uh, the, 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 what is it? The, the, uh, affordable, the affordable Care, care Act. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's affordable. Who, who doesn't want it to be affordable? Um, yeah, no, that's, that's not what it is, buddy. Uh, it's not it really is not it's terrible and it's 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 shocking how we can get a consensus among all voters across all political parties and beliefs where we can all sit down together as a group of voters and say we really disagree we we would have the 90 percent disapproval rate in congress you know i don't think there's anybody <laughs> that would passionately come up to you and say oh my gosh i support congress i think congress is doing a phenomenal job including the past 10 years they've done nothing but have higher rates of polarization in both the senate and the house of representatives we have seen that that polarization only intense Specified. Um, and I'm going to send you a link on a book that I read. It's going to be basically talking about how we measure polarization within Congress by the way that they do roll call votes. It's really awesome. Um, but, you know, on top of that, it's, it is an illusion. It's a lie. It's the biggest lie that we have, you know, thought to think that it works. But then whenever you have people that only want it for themselves, just so that I can get tally points that, I got my name in the good boy book or the good girl book that I can go back home and say, ah, I did this. It's devastating. And unfortunately, the country, you know, consequently, the country pays for it. Consequently, we see that um, we get more and more divided. We get more and more polarized. And the more polarized um, that we have seen in our history, uh, you know, how have we stopped polarizing? Well, the, the Great Depression uh, got us to not be so polarizing, got us to come together, you know, uh, times of war. Um, and then pretty much once the war on drugs has started, we've seen that we have just become increasingly more polarized and we have not stopped. And I don't see us stopping anytime soon with the Biden administration. Yeah, no. Um, and uh, this was this was scary. I don't know. I don't know how true this is or how far he'll get. But apparently Biden said he's going to bypass state governors who who don't want to go along with his uh, mask mandate and go directly to the counties and get um, get the sheriffs and, and the county level executives to to enforce this mandate. And it's like, so you're going to you're going to get you're going to get the counties to violate state law so that you can impose some non-existent federal law. And it's yeah, it's insane. Like, who knows how fucking far this guy is going to go? 
Um, who knows if he's going to get stopped? I mean, maybe he'll try it, and then maybe maybe it'll go to the Supreme Court. Maybe he'll get impeached for it. Probably not, because people just don't get impeached anymore. Um, why is it so hard to impeach a president? Could you imagine? Like, they should. This should be the thing, right? You should always start the impeachment like the day they're done counting the votes. Just like start the impeachment, and so that they have to walk on eggshells the whole damn time, and like and like any little thing they do, it's like oh you're out of here. And then we should we should successfully impeach every president after like six months, so we have to put somebody else in there, just so <laughs> like there's like there's no point, and they can't do anything. And ugh. it would be That's great. Crazy. And then yeah, but everybody's a lame duck always. Well, yeah, that would be awesome because then they'd know that they don't have, you know, three and a half years to just kind of piss over and just do whatever the hell they want. But then they would it would be good to have a president that, you know, I mean, they serve us. They serve the people. They serve the little guy, supposedly. And we have the Democratic Party who has historically been known for their narrative of being for the common man or the common person. Uh, but on the idea of the, you know, the mask mandates and all that stuff, I think I would like to see him try, you know, really. I think that, you know, one thing that I have learned about the Democratic Party, and this goes all the way back from me studying, you know, the Obama campaign, uh, Bernie Sanders campaign, Beto O'Rourke's um, historical campaign run here in Texas, the Democratic Party is very good at tapping into the ethos. The Democratic Party is very good at like doing a narrative. They're very good at giving emotionally powerful driven speeches to try to tap into the hearts and minds of Americans. But then, what do we know about the Democratic Party is that if they had the chance to impose their will of the state and say, hey, you know, submit or die, it would be the Democratic Party. Not to say that the right is the, the GOP is any far less, you know, distant from that regard as well, given their nationalistic policies and what have you. But I think that it would be it is scary. And it's a scary thing that I tell a lot of my friends all the time. And a lot of people that I tell back home is that we we're going to really see just how far they want to do, you know, these policies. And ultimately, it's tyrannical. And right now, he's I think he went on, I think he went live earlier today to get he just announced like this COVID-19 advisory board. And essentially, it's like, we're all they're trying to make it to where these aren't political statements wearing masks. These are this is a human issue. And it's like, no, it is a political statement. It's a political statement when if we are just talking about the science behind wearing a mask, which we know that wearing masks, yes, they may they may stop the spread to a degree, but ultimately it's not like you put on a mask and you're just surrounded by this Dragon Ball Z-like force field of energy of protection that the virus isn't gonna touch you. That is the biggest lie that we have told the American people. Um, if it's, it becomes a political issue once it's like, you know, hey, we're gonna throw you in jail if you're not gonna wear this mask. Or if you go out and if you walk around your neighborhood with more than three people, we're gonna arrest you or we're going to cite you for, you know, violating a rule and if you don't pay the fine we're going to throw you in jail for it that's when it becomes a political issue so he has made it a political issue um there's no doubt that mask wearing is a political issue and i, I think that it's just going to be interesting to see what he does and just how the states are ultimately going to act because this is going to be uh, us a year looking at the state legislatures and the governors and how they respond to a biden administration right um yeah, it's it's a mess, man. Um, it is a clusterfuck. That's definitely what it is. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like you know, at the same time, a lot of people are they're panicking. Oh my God, Biden won, and 
I'm kind of here like, yeah, it's the same thing everybody was saying when Trump won and nothing really bad really happened. Even with Obama, I mean, okay, you want to talk about bombs being dropped on other countries and the debt going up? Yeah, those are bad. Um, I don't know. But like, if you're an American in America, like, uh, I don't know. How bad can things really get when... I kind of want to say it's like we shouldn't be panicking. We shouldn't be expecting the worst because that's what they want. And at the same time, like, yeah, I get it. They could go fucking off the rails and we could get the absolute worst. But I, I, I honestly don't think it's that likely. I, I think they've studied enough of world history to know that if they want to stay in control and they want to stay in power, they can't, they can't push us to the point where there's absolute revolution. And so because of that, they're, they're carefully controlling. It's, it's like inflation, right? Like you look at, you look at Zimbabwe or, um, you know, any of these countries that had mass inflation, Germany, um, and they just completely destroyed their currency because they were just printing out of control. But you look at the Federal Reserve, and while inflation is still bad, they're they're like, no, 3% is the perfect inflation rate. Like, they've been printing money, but they they kind of know what the limits are. And they, they, they try not to push it too far, and they try to control it however they can so that things don't get out of control, so that they can continue to print money. Because if they started printing into oblivion, like, like some of these other countries did, and they just totally destroyed the currency... Well, then they'd be out of control again. So I, I think they've kind of gotten smart to this. They know how bad it is. They know it's they know it's stealing, but they know if they do too much of it, it it's going to go wrong. And I think the same thing happens with with um, policies where they know, yeah, look, let's let's stage a little bit of this civil war. Let's let's put some bricks out for the protesters. Um, let's you know let's make a statement about. Um, you know, an unarmed black man was killed by a police officer and let's start riots over this, but let's, let's try to control it a little bit. Um, but we'll use it to divide people and keep their attention away from these fucking libertarians who are over here talking about this anti-war stuff, which is just going to bankrupt us. Like, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, that's just what we know for just in political parties in general, and especially political parties that have one power. You know, political parties are strategic actors. They're strategic machines. They are exactly like what you said. They have studied all of these different events, all of these different things over a series of time where they basically say, hey, we they will test us. And I think one of the things that we we I did not expect, I did not expect us to have almost a 10% increase in turnout. I think that is amazing. I think we should have more turnout in our elections. It's a good thing. We should be up to like 75 or 80, like a lot of the rest of the world is, but we'll get there. But I think one of the things that we need to acknowledge, and I think that this is where we get into the discussion of where some of the polls were wrong, you know, all that stuff, you know, but the country is changing. The Democrats, the Democrats, 
demographics of the country are changing. Uh, by 2030, we will be a over 100 million strong in the South region part of the United States for Hispanics. Uh, you know, that the, they don't know what to do with that. And the Republican Party doesn't really like uh, catering to social policies that help non-white people. <laughs> but, you know, the Democrats not necessarily have a history of doing it either. You know, the founder of the Democratic Party, Andrew Jackson, was one of the leading leaders in uh, Native American genocide. You know, and that's something that they don't ever want to talk about. But the Republican Party has its own faults as well. But, you know, we we it gets it brings us back to the point of, like you said, you know, what can we do to be certain uh, new demographics of people growing? Uh, how are we able to keep them in check? You know, what kind of what are their soft, sensitive policy position points or political points that, you know, I don't want to use the trigger word, but what what policies can we use or what political topics can we say to kind of get them heated up, fired up, motivated um, that political parties do that all the time. And it's unfortunate that they basically use voters or constituents, uh, citizens, just pretty much like these little like we're basically iRobots and just however they want to program us to uh, act in certain ways on certain policies. It's, it's just it's very evil. Um, but unfortunately, all political parties do that uh, who are in power or trying to maintain power. Right. So let's. Let's circle back. Let's talk about um, libertarians. Let's uh, let's just totally bash the libertarians. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> only a little bit. Um, so uh, I'm t I'm trying to like go back to what we were talking about before we started the show because we were talking about right. we were talking about Joe running the election. We were talking about oh, so somebody made a post about. Um, you know, why don't we pick our libertarian candidate now so they can run for the next four years? Right. And to that person, I said, well, you had that opportunity and you missed it last time because you were more concerned with appearances and name recognition, which Joe doesn't even have. And like, I, like I, I love Joe. She's awesome. But she doesn't have name recognition. Like she, she might have, she might have done that thing where she ran for vice president back in right. like the eighties, and like a lot of libertarians know her. It doesn't matter if every libertarian knows her and every libertarian votes for her. That's not name recognition. That's gonna. That's like, that's like okay, yeah, all of our club is gonna go vote libertarian, which we would have exactly. done anyway. That's exactly. That what doesn't it help. Is. But. So, okay, so this idea of like, okay, let's, so let's, let's get somebody now so they can spend the next four years campaigning. Mm -hmm. Well, we, myself, Vermin Supreme, Adam Kokesh, Arvind Vora, Kim Ruff was in there. Well, I guess she, she wasn't up, she, she dropped out before we got to the nomination process. Right. Um, she, she was in the, she was in there for a good few months. Yeah. yeah. She was in the lead for a while too in, in the polls. But so you had at least four good candidates who had been cam campaigning for at least 18 months. Right. And you chose somebody who showed up. I don't want to say she showed up at the last minute, but I want to. I, be I believe she started campaigning. I think the convention was in May. She started campaigning in November of 19. So about six months she was in the game. Was, yeah. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Um, she hadn't done any campaigning outside of the party, which is an issue I kept bringing up. I know I'm going to talk about myself and how fucking wonderful i am but like that you was are wonderful dan <laughs> thank you and uh, like and, and the reason like 
so I kept bringing these things up during the, the debates and it wasn't so much to like toot my own horn and be like, I'm smarter than you. I know these things. It was really to, to hopefully influence the way that the libertarians were voting and the way some of the candidates were running. And so one of the things I kept saying was, most of you haven't heard of me because I don't campaign to libertarians. I'm campaigning outside of our, our echo chamber. Exactly. And, and that's what we need to be doing for the, like, like, and meanwhile, like, and some of the candidates are doing this. Vermin did an amazing job. I'm still jealous. Like he's so much better than me. Um, Adam Kokesh has always been campaigning outside of the circle. Um, and, and this is what we need to do. This is how we get more libertarians. You can you can circle jerk all you want. You're not going to grow the party that way. You're not going to grow the vote. That's another thing. Forget about growing the party. Grow the voter base. Like they don't even a lot of them don't even see the difference between a voter and a party member. Like right. so, like you look look at a hundred million people. How many? Yeah, a hundred million people just voted for Joe Biden. How many out of those 100 million people, how many do you think go to Democratic conventions? Less very, than very a, half of a, right. a half of a millionth of a percent. Like right. nothing. Same for Donald Trump. I mean, a lot of those people will go to his rallies, and but that's about it. And right. the, the libertarians have this thing where like, oh, oh, you're interested in lower taxes? Well, let me sign you up to my cult. Come on down here. Um. I know I'm exaggerating. Like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to bash the libertarians, but I say this all no, with love. No, please. No, no. I mean, you know, and you're absolutely right. And I think one of the biggest things, you know, it, like I said, I think before the show, we talked about different ways that the, you know, if you're running for a statewide office, you're as a libertarian uh, in a third party, in a very, what we call in our field, a niche party, um, it's, you're going to have different strategies for campaigning. So you're going to have different ways. And I think, you know, whenever we have the presidential top of the ticket, you're going to be running a totally different campaign because we're the Libertarian Party. And it's like we, we're trying to find that balance of how. And I think one of the issues is, is that we try so hard to be purists. We do this litmus test for all of our candidates, which don't get me wrong. Like I said, you can we can have a candidate try to do different campaign methods or say, like, you know, for example, if and only if in 24, we have Justin Amash at the top of the ticket. OK, that's going to piss off a lot of people. A lot of people are going to hate it. Um, but from a. And you, you don't even have to bring up the name recognition thing per se, but I think it ultimately comes down to we have to acknowledge that people who vote libertarian are going to continue voting libertarian. Every time we go to come together in all of our state conventions and we go to our national convention every couple of years, those people are going to vote libertarian no matter what. Most of them are like a strong 95 percent of them will. A few of them uh, are so, going to go Trump every once in a right, while. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You may, you, you know, like do. You could do the Austin Peterson thing and vote for Trump, you know, whatever you want to do. But um, it's like at the end of the day, it's like we need to understand as a party. And this is what I have been doing in my research. It's like, you know, we understand that, like, if I were to put Daniel Berman, the name on a piece of paper, and if I put an R next to his name, you already have some stereotypes about what that person might be like or dislike if i put daniel berman with a d next to his name you're already like psychologically creating stereotypes psychological assessments to try to categorize what this person might do right. and a lot a lot of voters do this voters across the mainstream do this but what we have tried to do is try to see well how does that work when we include an l or a g and we have learned and shocking to say the least oh go figure the Amer the average american voter 
has no idea who the hell we are. Uh, they're only able to distinctively, distinctively separate the L from the Republicans. So they're able to be like, okay, I know this policy is more libertarian and Republican, you know, vice versa. But the thing that really sucks is that people who classify themselves as Democrat actually think that libertarianism is the same thing synonymous to them, which is weird. Liberal. Liberal, exactly. Especially when they put, like, because they don't always put the L, they put lib. Exactly. Yeah, yes. oh, oh, liberal. Because everyone knows not, what liberal is. Yes, and everything, not only that, but it's like, you know, our social policy issues are very synonymous to what the left wants. And so it, it didn't really surprise me whenever we found in our research that that was, that was a, a key of interest. Um, also, the only major thing where all parties across the board were able to distinctively sell, um, separate libertarians was, of course, the issue of taxes. So whenever you're, if you're running, you know, in a statewide race, and if you're really trying to appeal to the average voter, taxes, um, you know, taxation is theft, it always will be for the end of time throughout, throughout ever and ever and ever and always. Um, that is one way that we can connect to the median voter um, is through the issue of taxes as a libertarian. Of course, it's all different here. But I think us building a voter base is a consistent voter base is what we need to do. And I think we need to understand, um, you know, we want to win races. We want to win more races. You know, we just had a gentleman from Wyoming win a two-way race uh, against a Democrat in, uh, uh, you know, Wisconsin in the state legislature. You know, that is good. Now the question becomes, now what happens whenever he's up for re-election and we have an R and a D going up against him? Uh, you know, we saw that happen with Brandon, Representative Brandon Finney. You know, he got demolished. So we need to see if voters are even able to it love the libertarian incumbent and then see if that incumbency factor comes into play whenever it's a three-way race. So that's something that we'll always have to just study and watch. But on the question of appealing to voters and building a base, I think it starts with us as a party. I think it starts with us not being so ugly and mean to each other, because here's the thing. I see the libertarian party as like a uh, ultimately, the foundation is freedom. We should all be chasing freedom. Uh, liberty in our lifetime is, of course, the end result. I don't care if you're an ANCAP, if you're a radical, if you're a Libsoch, if you're a Mises, or whatever you want to call yourself in the party, your goal should ultimately be liberty in our lifetime. And if that's not the finish line that you want, then you're not libertarian. <laughs> I'm sorry. But if we just all come together on that note, and if we just to talk about ways about how to influence the median voter. I think that you'll see a tremendous rise in our vote shares increasingly over the next 10 years. And I think that it all starts with us changing our mobilization efforts. It's, you know, some of these things is not a candidate issue. A lot of these things is a national branding issue. Um, that's just the lack of efforts from the, the leadership in the LNC and then going all the way to the state leadership and the district, I mean, the regional representation. Uh, some of these things are just bad marketing. You know, it, it astonishes me that we, Dan, that we have been a party for 50 years. And if you were, if you just do a social experiment with yourself, go out and about, go to a mall, go talk to people in the parks and just talk to like 10 people and see out of those 10 people, how many people have heard of the Libertarian Party. I would be lucky if you found three. I mean, it would be astonishing if you even found two or three because um, people do not know we exist. The vast majority of Americans do not know we exist. And as libertarians, you know, that just seems insane to us because we're libertarian. You know, we, we want people to know so bad that there is a third option, but 
once we break through the veil and we go into the real world, we notice that we're still a small voice and we still have a big mountain to climb in order to get ultimately where we want to be. Um, but I think the first step is just trying to engage to these other voters. Um, another thing I think is that, you know, we're a party of philosophy and ideology. We have a lot of ideological beliefs that have never been implemented in practice as a libertarian, you know, as a libertarian getting elected and trying to influence legislation is what I'm saying. So I think that one of the things, you know, we can get in, if we ever get on a debate with a DNR, we want an ideological debate. You know, the D's and the R's, they hate ideological debates because they know that we'd kick their ass every single time. The only part that is going to suck for us is how are we going to implement some of our ideological beliefs into policy. And I think it has to be more, I mean, you know, we, we, we're gonna all say taxation is theft all freaking day and I'll say it with you until I die, you know, all the way through and through, but it's like, it has to go beneath taxation is theft. It has to go, you know, that's a good, you know, uh, hot topic, a hot button phrase to say, to, to bring them in. But then it's like, what it, what does taxation and theft mean? Like, what does that mean? Like as governor, what would you do to help policies? Because ultimately the people that we're really trying to get to vote for us are not the people with the big deep pockets. They're not the people that, you know, uh, are trying to destroy our country with cronious uh, policies and corporatist ways. The people that we're ultimately getting to vote for us, Dan, is the people that live pay to paycheck to paycheck every week, the people that, you know, struggle to find food on the table. Yeah, I believe in the Libertarian Party and I think, you know, taxation is theft is good, but what would Governor Berman do to help me and my family get food on the table? You know, just those, those hard reality issues are really what the Libertarian Party needs to think about. And I think right. that if we, if we go into that, those discussions, we'll be able to show you, sorry, we will be able to show the American voters that, hey, we're more than just a niche or a radical party. We're still radical as hell, but it's like we're, we're starting to evolve more along the lines of, hey, we're, we're not just these crazy nuts. I mean, we are crazy and we are nutty uh, and we're a little loony, but it's like at the same time, it's like we actually care about what, the, what is going on in mainstream America. Right. Yeah. And that's 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 one of the things we hear all the time is like, oh, you guys are heartless bastards. You don't care about anybody but yourselves. And, and you want most people to you want the poor people to die and you want kids to work in mines for 10 cents an hour. And yeah, that's the impression that people get. Um, and really, this is what's interesting. It's. It's um, and and I know like I'm OK, I'm going to criticize the, the Libertarian Party here for something that they don't do that I know people can be, well, why don't you do it? Well, I'm kind of doing, doing other things. Um, <laughs> I got enough on my plate, but this is, this is what we, this is the gap we need to fill if we really want to make some progress. Cause, cause like you said, ideologies are, they're not actionable, right? Um, like, Oh, the broken window fallacy. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's cool. So are we going to, are we going to pass the broken window fallacy law? Like, no, like, what do you, how do you take that and apply it to the real world? What tax do you cut that's not going to make the entire government crumble and is, is going to make, improve the lives of everybody, right? These are the actual policies. And this is what's interesting about, because you talk about the marketing of the whole party, right? There's, there's a lot of stuff. I'm going to sound like I'm bouncing all over the place here for a minute, but it's because like you look at the Democrats and the Republicans, 
if you really look at them, it's not just the party. It is a complex web of like a thousand different organizations. Um, you've got Black Lives Matter, which is a Democrat organization. You've got Fight for 15, which is a Democrat organization. You've got the NRA, which is a Republican organization. They have all these partnerships with all these organizations. Interest groups. These, yeah. Exactly. They all do their own fundraising. They all do their own outreach. People donate money because they want everybody to, to um, be educated for or against abortions. They throw millions of dollars at that. And so you have two organizations that are going out. They're collecting people to follow their organization. And then when the election comes around, they say, go vote Democrat or go vote Republican because that person wants to kill unborn babies or wants to, you know, whatever. Like, this is what they do. And where are the libertarian organizations? And why aren't, why isn't the libertarian party partnering with them? And not only that, you look at all those organizations, the special interest groups, what do they do? They create policy. Who's creating libertarian policy? Is there a, is there a libertarian uh, policy, uh, policy advisor that works for the national board that's telling all the candidates how to you know what they should add to their campaign no you have a bunch of you have a bunch of wild libertarians who are like oh um i'm gonna stick my name on the ballot and uh i'm gonna come up with a bunch of weird shit that i think is libertarian and those are gonna be my policies that's what you have now without putting much thought into it just i hate the system i'm gonna run and i there's nobody telling me what policies i need and of course nobody should tell me what to do anyway so so i'm just gonna run this clusterfuck campaign that that doesn't have any real policies that anybody can believe in and like libertarians i love you guys i'm sorry but i've heard i've heard the weirdest shit out of you guys that would never work in the real world in the real world but you look at gary johnson's campaign and he had he had the fair tax. The fair tax is that's there's an actual special interest group for that. There's like an organization that's still pushing the fair tax. And that was a policy that was a lot of people thought was libertarian. It's not libertarian at all. It's still another tax. It's okay, we're gonna we're gonna cut one tax and we're gonna create a new tax, but most likely we're gonna end up compromising, which means we're gonna end up with two taxes. Um, it's not very libertarian to begin with, but they were willing to partner with the Libertarian Party to push their agenda. And that helped Gary Johnson. Like, not to say, like, that's where all of his support came from, but that helped him. And so if Libertarians want to do something, they, they, need, they need more partnerships like this. And you've got organizations out there that are completely, you've got, you've got um, Black Guns Matter, who the party has totally pissed off. You've got gun owners of America, which I I think they're still mostly Republican, but they're a little bit more libertarian. Um, And honestly, they're probably afraid of some of our candidates because we just let anybody run. Um, (laughs) I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, we we don't really have a vetting process. Um, And then you've got normal who time and time again tells us, yeah, we, we don't we don't endorse candidates and we don't do this and that. You've got the you've got High Times magazine. Why aren't these guys featuring all the libertarian candidates? What is it about us that we are not able to make these connections with with people who want to push these agendas? And yes, part of it is like I don't want to be associated with these fucking libertarians. They're kind of crazy. So that is kind of something we need to fix. But at the same time, it's like, okay, 
maybe we just need the right people to get their foot in the door and make a good impression and say, yeah, I know some of these other guys are a little bit crazy. But listen to what I have to say. Just listen to me. Because there, there are plenty of completely sane libertarians out there with libertarian policies. But that's, that's the thing. Like, you still have to have some sort of, like, let's figure out the, like, you can't, you have, you look at the convention, a thousand libertarians in a room screaming at each other, no, that policy sucks. So we never decide, we'll, like, if we had a thing like that where we could say, okay, we're going to vote on this policy, and if this policy passes, all of the candidates should use this policy. And then it's never going to pass because you're going to have like half the people saying like, no, that's, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a scam. It's a trick. Like, I don't know. All this stuff's going to go on. Um, so it's, it's kind of like we're, we're constantly just shooting ourselves in the foot. Absolutely. I think we're every single time that we have, well, I don't want to say every single time, most of the time, just so I don't offend people in the party, but it's like, I think we always self-destruct ourselves and it's like we we always we come up like from since 1996 i believe the voting percentage of the libertarian presidential candidate increased very highly percentage wise every year every year and then all of a sudden 2020 it takes a dip with 1.1% or whatever and we try to justify that as a victory now don't get me wrong you know that it was a great campaign and even during an incumbent presidency joe had the best you know, mark, you know, voting margin or whatever vote, votes for the presidential election. But I think if we want to continue to get up and move incrementally, I think ultimately we need that 5% at the presidential level. I think that we, we really need that just to help. I mean, in New York state, they, the legislature in New York just doubled the ballot access efforts for the libertarian bar for all third parties to get on the ballot. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's just, I don't know the exact number, but all I know is it's that a it's lot. a very, it's very draconian, dude. And it's like, you know, you have to get these thousands and thousands of signatures during the coldest parts of the year in New York State. Like, who in the hell has time for that, man? And it's like, we, that happens in See, Florida, you know. Like, this is, that's like the perfect, perfect thing that I think we can take advantage of. Because imagine this. Imagine you're in New York, and instead of spending all your time and money getting getting people to sign a petition just so you can be on the ballot, you spend all that money just just driving this massive, massive, massive advertising campaign so everybody in New York knows your name, and then they get to the ballot box, and you're not there. Imagine how pissed off they're going to be like, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be a democracy. Why isn't this candidate on these ballots that we've that like everybody knows who this candidate is? Why isn't he on the ballot? Like that's that's the kind of like that's a George Floyd moment. Sorry, I mean like he died. That's much worse. But that's that's a spark that is going to ignite a flame for people who I don't really know like I mean most people didn't know what George Floyd was about. They just know he, he got killed by the government. So you don't have to know what this libertarian candidate is about. You just have to know that his name was completely suppressed from the ballot by your democratic government who's supposed to be fighting for truth and justice in the American way. No, that's Superman. Like, no, that's... No, I agree. It, it's And here's another thing that I was thinking about. It's like we... Uh, at the national... I mean... 
it seems like we just want to just fill the ballots you know the whole mm-hmm. democrat pack the courts the libertarian is pack the ballots pack the ballots just right. it don't matter who the hell it is pack the ballots pack the ballots we just need candidates you know three four thousand candidates we just need candidates and i agree i get that but then it's like you said it's like i'm all for putting a third name on a ballot a fourth name or fifth name a set whatever i'm all for that you know that's what our democracy is this country is way too diverse way too big to just be constrained and controlled by a d or an r or red or a blue uh political party but at the same time it's like if we focused maybe on what i call vulnerable races where you have maybe like a congressional race where like say the incumbent is just left as an R and no D is daring to do it. And we get a libertarian in there. And if it's like, Hey, the state party should be like, Hey, instead of just like trying to allocate resources to all, what if we, and see, here's the thing, because then they're like choosing, Oh, you think that this race is, you know, more important than mine, whatever. But it's like, at the same time, it's like, what if we implemented a strategic, um campaign style it's like you know we want to get our libertarians elected all the time but if we you know if we pick got to pick vulnerable spots in the country maybe in texas you know dude my hometown in b county uh county of thirty thousand people very vulnerable uh we're about to get a local a candidate next uh within a couple years you know the libertarian party is growing in my hometown and i'm happy about that small counties like that are vulnerable um, and a lot of counties like that don't have low turnout, very low turnout. You're talking less than 20% in their local races. That is where we need to start hitting. You know, we got to start getting the county commissioners. We need school boards. We need sheriffs. Uh, I think working locally helps, but then also making sure that, you know, if you're running for governor, making sure that, you know, we break, we continue to break voting records and we continue to climb and we learn from mistakes if we make some, um, I think ultimately that's how we can grow locally and we actually get the libertarian party elected and we get our foot in the door that way. But then again, it's like, you know, uh, super, you know, PACs um, also, I think, you know, the, the Mises caucus has done a very good job at being, a you know, so making political action committee contributions to candidates and also bringing in memberships for the party. You know, we got to build more of those. And then also, um, <laughs> <laughs> forgive me i don't want it to say that you know i'm just saying like libertarians aren't educated but it's like we need more libertarians to understand the offices upon which they want to run for um you know if you're running for congress i would expect you to punch out a draft piece of legislation on an issue that you are very passionate about um there are sources for you to write drafts on legislation like full-on official legislation for any state legislature and if you're in congress uh we need libertarians to be able to understand um campaign methods we need them to understand you know having an amazing campaign is more than just having very awesome you know videos created by uh you know an individual who's good at making you know videos for joe and spike you know it goes way beyond that not to say that that person's doing a horrible job he makes amazing videos great videos but we the campaign needs to be more than just that um volunteers we suck at getting volunteers you know it's hard to get dozens and dozens of people to block walk and knock on thousands and thousands of doors for you you know that's where we need to be ultimately we need to do what beto o'rourke did and what aoc did horrible individuals on policy great effective people in campaign um we need to take 
you know. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Go well, ahead. I want. I wanted. To, I've like been building up my notes, like as because I don't want to interrupt you, but um, I guess now I have. Like, so, like, when it comes to AOC or, you know, any of these guys, like, what's, what I think is, like, what really helps in recruiting volunteers is you say, like, oh, yeah, we're going to get, like, free college. And, like, people will volunteer for that. But when you tell them, like, oh, no, we're going to get some of our rights back, but we already have the Constitution. We already have our rights. What are you talking about? Like, that doesn't get people excited to go out and, and do something. I think that's a big part of it. Um, but I, I also wanted to go back to like where you were talking about like choosing choosing elections to make sure you can win those that like that's that's the tactical voting that Max Abramson has been talking about since he was one of the guys who started very early running and he's he was an elected sitting libertarian um, state house representative and I and like all the libertarians hated him they 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 were just talking so much trash. And, like, I get it. Like, he, he's not your favorite person. Fine. But he's got some really good ideas, and you just threw the baby out with the bathwater. And, like, you, like they, they really treated him like shit. And, like, he's, I, he's a pretty decent guy. Like, he's not, he, he didn't deserve all that shit. And the libertarians ran him out, and it's like, why? Like, this, he was the only person pushing that tactical voting, and he's, like, he's like a, like a, like a genius or something with it because he was like he was talking about the numbers and like how exactly how like he like figured this shit out and it's like if if anybody would have like i i want to call him up and figure out like how do we like how do we implement that if he'll even still work with any libertarians but like if you could get a hold of him, let me be sure to get me involved. I would definitely love to talk to him as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure I can get him because I mean, he and I are on good terms, um, and and that was that was something I made a point of with the whole election. Like, I'm I'm not here to like get in a fight with anyone, except for like maybe maybe Justin Amash just a little bit, but um, but like but because I was like like we we're all here, we all have to work together. Kim Ruff kind of like she she got chased off too by a lot of people just talking shit, and it's like. It's like, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, even if this person doesn't win, they're still an amazing activist, and they don't want to work with you now because you were you were talking shit to them. Oh, Lincoln Chafee was another one that I, I wasn't too happy to have around. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm looking at like who who was in the primaries right now. Um, Jim Gray, I don't agree with him on everything. But I, like I, I wasn't there to chase him off. I, I wanted to debate him on some of his policies, but um, uh, you know, like all these guys, some of these guys didn't have a whole lot of experience, and right. I was like, fucking happy that. Anyways, so I'm, I'm like way off on a tangent. I, and no, like, but like I, I think a countdown. No, no, no. <laughs> you, no, you bring a lot of good points, and I think on that note, you know, I think the libertarian party needs to understand because here's the thing, and this is what I think: the very same people who may hate on. A potential Amash Gabber ticket, the people that will hate on a, a, a potential Supreme Cohen 24 ticket, all these different combinations of people who are going to eventually run for our nomination in 24. Though, you know, those same people that will talk all that shit about what whoever libertarian people are going to be the same people that are going to ultimately vote libertarian anyway. 
you know, they're still going to be the people that are just like, you know, let me just get my microphone time. Let me just, you know, get my little spotlight. Let me say a couple cuss words or whatever, get my time just to say that I expressed my voice at convention. And like, I hate Justin Amash or I hate Noel. Okay, whatever, dude, you're going to go to the polls and you're going to vote libertarian anyway. And then you'll be bitching about the same shit two years from now. But I think that is one of the biggest problems that we have with the party. We're not, we're going to have, you know, this party is a spectrum, you know, ultimately, like I said, our foundation, our end goal is freedom and it's ultimately liberty in our lifetime. But then it's like, we're all going to have different ways on how big the L is on every individual in the party. Some are going to be larger than others. Some are going to have a little tiny baby L, you know, and it's like, no matter who, it's just, we have to be willing to listen to people. We have to be willing to talk to people. Uh, we have to be willing to have healthy debates, civil. I mean, the very same thing that we try to convince the American voter over and over is what the system is broken. There's a lot of, you know, hateful rhetoric. There's a lot of hateful, you know, division, but then you look at our internal function as a party and it's the same shit, dude. It's the same shit that parallels into the same world that we're trying to stop with. And it's a hard reality. I think the first thing is like, you know, how do you get a drug addict to admit that they have a problem? You know, they, they ultimately have to find it deep within themselves and say, look, I am not, I'm miserable. Like this is rock bottom. This fucking sucks. Like, okay, I'm done. I need to do better. And it's like, I think the Libertarian Party hasn't hit that point yet. I don't want us to, because if we did, it would be horrible and the party would be in a very, very horrible state. But it's like, you know, if we just help ourselves go, because ultimately we want more Libertarians. I don't think that people care about the size of the L or not on the individual. I think they just want someone who's passionate someone who's going to go on live television or live uh, podcast shows or somebody who's going to go before um, academic um, seminars and conferences across the world, who's going to publish research in political science on these issues. They just want people to represent the values of the party. And um, if we are able to just drop our egos and just drop all that hatefulness, you know, then yeah, we're going to grow and we're going to be, we're not going to always, we're not going to always agree, but it starts there, man. It's, it's an individual decision. It's a heart issue. I think that you can, you know, you can't tell a libertarian, Hey, you know, get along with this person. They're gonna be like, fuck you. You're, you can't tell me what to do. And that's just how we are. That's how I am. You know? And that's why I love this party so much is that we are a party of rebellion. We are a party of true patriotism. Give me liberty or death. But ultimately the only people that, you know, the D's and the R's don't even have to worry about defeating us because we're defeating ourselves every two years we are the ones that defeated ourselves we continue to defeat ourselves each and every time it's like we're willingly shooting ourselves in the head every time that we even try to just get over the cusp of advancing and that's where i think these next 10 years need to be very fragile if we don't hit five percent in 24 or 28 I may go as far as to give us one more chance in 32. But dude, if we don't hit at least 5% once in a presidential election, something is wrong. Like, we just don't want to grow. And ultimately, at the end of, you know, it's hard. And as voter turnout goes, it's going to be harder. We're going to have to get more votes. But ultimately, I think that if, if, if we're not wanting to get better, like, then we're just satisfied with being mediocre and being an average party. And we're not, we don't, we're not ready to grow. We don't want to grow. We don't want to be a major party. We don't want to be a better party because then all of the side, the size of the L shouldn't matter. 
Um, you know, we're not sacrificing principles. We're not changing the platform overnight. And I think some people have it in their mind that that will happen. You know, you're Daryl Perry's of the world, but ultimately that's not going to happen. Ultimately it's going to help the party and it's going to help us grow. It's going to help us modernize. People will know who we are. We're going to get more funding and more money. I mean, I would like to run a national party that has more than a budget of $2 million. Joe basically matched the national party budget by running for president. That is <laughs> That is insane. Like how we're able to function and have conventions at the rate we do with just a budget of just $2 million. I don't know. It might be higher or lower now. You know, that's just asinine to me. And I think the it starts with just the individual man. And I know I probably repeated myself a lot and I'm sorry, but it's like, ultimately it comes down to the individual libertarian. We have to just stop with the bullshit. You know, you're more pure than me or you're more pure than me. You know, we need to stop that because ultimately that's the same attitude that the Amer the average American person has when they're trying to decide who to vote for. And if we're not going to change, then ultimately, we're not going to be able to change the hearts and minds of the American people, which means we're never going to get more and more people to establish a voter base in the next 10 years. Yep. Man. That's a lot it's to a, take it, in, man. It is a lot to take in. And because, you know, it's something that I've really had to think about. And it's a lot of, you know, I, I'm sure I pissed off some people, you know, at the Joe event. But I mean, ultimately, I'm not coming from... You know, and in the future, dude, like we're going to do more podcasts. I, I'm really liking this. I'm really liking what we have done here. Uh, you know, I, I think ultimately it comes down to, do we really want to win? Do we really want to get bigger? Do we really want to really be taken seriously? I mean, if we're just satisfied with showing up to convention every couple of years and just pretending like we're a real party, which to us, we are a real party. In my heart, the Libertarian Party is the best party in the world. And it's the beacon, the last remaining hope of liberty, of freedom for the rest of the world. But we can still play that way. We can still be that way in our own little world. But then once we step out into the real world, they don't care. American voter, the median voter doesn't care. They don't know who we are. They, they're, they don't, they're not able to like even create um, partisan stereotypes on whether or not you have an R or a D next to your name. If you put an L next to your name, unless you're talking about taxes, they can't even describe, they can't even distinctively separate you from the rest of the crowd, uh, you know, and that, that's just going to be something that we're just going to have to ultimately take care of. And it's a harsh reality. It's a hard pill to swallow, but you know, I come from a background where it's like, I really want to change the system. You know, I do it with statistics and thousands and thousands of numbers. Um, you guys do it with how you want to appeal to them with your message. All I can do is just show you, this is what the research shows. This is research that is peer reviewed, scientifically peer reviewed. And a lot of people in the Libertarian Party, you know, may have different feelings about peer review research, but we have, I can literally send you dozens and dozens of articles that have measured how Americans distinguish their voting behavior over a consistent period of six decades. And it has been critiqued from all sides. It has been shredded apart. It has been practiced over and over. And we still come with the same thing that has to say something. All I can do is just show you, this is what the research is. This is the truth. This is how we can get better. You take it for what you want. If you want to get better, listen to what we have to say. Otherwise, you're just going to be a party that's just going to be celebrating like you won the election for just getting 2% for the next generation.
And I don't think I want that to happen. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, you said we have to get 5% in, in 2032, dude, that's 12 years from now, man. I know it's only three, three presidential cycles, but that's 12 years, man. I know, I know. And it's a huge climb, but I mean, we can get it. We can get it in 24. We, we have, we have the means. If we stop being stupid, we can. Yes, yes. And then we can talk about getting 20 and then we can talk about actually winning. But in order for us to actually say like we're going to win and really mean it, because let's be honest, our candidates, we want them to win. But if we really want them to win, we are going to really have to start digging deep down and uh, members across the country are just going to have to be like, what is it do we really want? Do we just want to show up and just wave dildos and just piss off people every two years? Do we want to be just, you know, a thundering voice of crowd of people that support a candidate for chair and then those same people don't show up the next couple of years? Do we want to be a party that has says that, oh, we are a caucus that have been around since the very beginning and we're here to, sh- you know, pick point, you know, the tricks and the quips from all these people that try to take over the party or do we want to win or do we want to put that bullshit aside and do we want to grow do we want to be a real legitimate contender do we really want to bring the d's and the r's to their knees and basically you know with our success they're going to openly admit and confess to the american people yes we we were we were liars but uh, you know we've been in the system for 200 years we know how to do it we promise we'll be better this time and we're just going to be like nah no 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 that's not how this works like one of y'all is going to die and y'all guys decide who is going to die first but we're coming in the libertarians are going to take over but within you know if if we just get over ourselves man by 10 years we can have at least 5% of the House of Representatives at the federal level. We may have one or three in the Senate. Across state legislatures, we may have more than a dozen. We have, you know, we may have floods of county commissioners and mayors and city councilmen and women across. If we just get over ourselves and if we swallow our own egos and if we get over our pride, we can do this. We can do this. I, I just want to I just want to say two things and um, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. Well, let me say three things. One, this is this has been an awesome conversation. We definitely got to get you back on the show. In fact, I think I need to put you in charge of some part of my campaign. Um, uh, we definitely need to work on that, um, especially since you're in Texas. Um, one of the other things I wanted to say was let's see let's see here. Number two, actionable. We have to be actionable. Like, we have to come up with real, tangible plans that we can write on paper and say, this is a law. Pass this. Because just by having that, that's how you get people to rally for support. You don't get... Bernie Sanders wasn't popular because he was pushing socialism. He was popular because he was pushing Medicare for all. Um, all, all these other Democrats, they're not popular just because, like, I'm a Democrat. No, they had something, whether it's vote for 15, whether it's we're going to ban the guns, whatever it is. Same with the Republicans. They have something that gets people excited and they push it. And we, we absolutely need that. And one other thing I want to suggest is when, when libertarian candidates are nominated for the ballot, um, I don't know if all the states are the same, but we go through a process where we vote. We vote on all of them. And if there's only one person, it's an uncontested race, um, there's an option for NOTA. And what I would recommend, and this is not to hurt people's feelings, but I think we start need, we need to start using NOTA more. Get the people 
who are presentable and have experience, for fuck's sake, if I go to one more convention and they're giving a, a, a lecture on how to be a candidate and they have to talk about body odor and, and hygiene, I'm going to, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. With, get, get candidates who have been through this, who understand the policies and can push some policies, get them in there, don't stack the whole ballot and instead of instead of spreading spreading ourselves thin and having like two volunteers on every libertarian's campaign just get three guys on the ballot and get everybody to push behind those guys everybody to donate so that those guys can get some really good advertising and everybody else that wants to be that wants to be the next congressman or, or libertarian whatever even in a local and and you know consider all things consider if the election is going to be really easy to win fine go for it but don't elect somebody that's going to like that doesn't really understand the policy and they're going to get in there and win an easy race and then they're going to totally screw things up and be like yeah look libertarians are idiots don't do that either but do this in a way that we can actually put our put our efforts together and anybody else who wants to run like and and I know I did this my first my first run I was like screw it I'm going to do it actually they convinced me to put my name on the ballot and just like be a paper candidate to, to fill the ballot. And then after a while, I was like, shit, you know what? I'm going to run a real campaign. Luckily, I didn't screw it up or do anything stupid, but they didn't know. They didn't know if I was going to screw it up or not. And really what they should have done is they should have told me to volunteer on somebody else's campaign so I can learn what the hell I'm doing. So I can learn how to run a campaign so that next cycle I could run my own campaign. That's what we need to be doing is training people because otherwise you get these people who have never been involved in a campaign. They get on the ballot. They run a campaign. They're completely discouraged. They get five votes, which was them and their mom. And then they're like, I'm never doing this again. That was a waste of time. That's And that's a waste of energy that we put into this person when we could have set them up as a volunteer train them in what to do, let them see how to run a campaign, get the actual experience, and then get out in the world and actually do something on their own run later. That's what that's what we need to be doing. We need to be thinking about the big picture, and we're not. I absolutely agree with you, man. And it's all about how we utilize our, our resources. Um, like I said, we've talked about this, you know, depending on what office you want to run for is going to call for different uh, strategies because you're a third party candidate. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, candidate education is one of the biggest things that I have been major vocal advocate for at the national level, the state level, and even here at our local level in Lubbock County. Uh, you know, we need to be able to like help people because it's easy to just say, I'm going to run for office. Well, what the hell do you do? Um, it's more than just trying to get flyers and put signs all over the place. It's more than just trying to get on a talk show. It's more than that. It's it actually requires a lot of work, like a lot of work. And I think that some of the libertarians now that have run that have run for office before, they'll probably disagree with what I say. They're like, oh, I've run for office and I've got 10, 11 percent of the vote. You don't know what you're talking about. But it's like, yeah, but in order to take the circumstances we are now as a third party to be able to utilize certain resources and strategically pinpoint them in vulnerable spots to be able to get you to have the maximization to be able to have an effective campaign in order to actually really win a campaign in a competitive three-way race it would be so stressful for our candidates 
a lot of them would probably pass out and just probably die from the stress because actually running a serious, serious, real, real campaign where all the arrows and all the stones are being thrown at you, like it would be hell for our candidates. And I just don't know if our candidates are ready for that level yet, right now, right. not now, but it just, it's just, you know, that's a whole other topic of conversation, but yeah. Um, it, it's just, it takes a lot. It takes a lot, man. It's, um, it's a lot to take in and um, we could talk about this for days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Victor, it's been awesome having you on here. Uh, before we go, um, do you have anything you want to plug? You got a website? People want to learn more about you, find out what you're uh, up to? I don't really have a website. Um, not yet, but I, I mean, you could follow my Twitter at Liberty Vic 90 L at L I B E R T Y V I C 90 at Liberty Vic 90. Um, I am definitely going to be using that more because apparently Twitter is a big deal. Um, if you guys would like to follow me on what I'm doing as far as research, um, go to the Texas tech university, uh, graduate school, political science website. You'll have my school email. If y'all guys want any, research on these subjects that I study. Um, definitely shoot me an email and I would be more than happy to accommodate you. Also, you know, I really would love to be on your show again. There's a wide variety of topics on these issues that we can discuss. And I really just hope that it just begins with educating the base and educating the party. And um, if we start doing that now by 2024, man, you know, ultimately what we want to do is we want to divide the party. We really want to be at a point where we want to get us at a point where we're at a crossroads and we're like, where do we want to be? Do we want to grow? Do we want to get better? Or are we satisfied with just being happy with 0.5% or 3%? That's ultimately the crossroads in which we are aiming for. And we have to be able to figure that out within the next 10 years. And I would love to talk to any candidate, any libertarian, anyone who's not a libertarian, feel free to add me on Facebook and I'll talk to anybody. I will give you the time. Awesome. Careful, that time adds up quick. Victor, thank you so much. Um, this, is, this has been an awesome conversation. I'm definitely going to have you back on because um, I feel like we can talk about this for days. So um, maybe I'll have you like on every Monday and for like the next year and we can finally get some of this shit out of our system. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I'll be in touch with you because there's a lot of topics that I would like to discuss. And I'm sure, you know, that's going to open up the door to a lot. And I think next time we could try to get some of the audience involved. And uh, I, I wasn't able to look at the comments. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully we got to engage some people and hopefully the people that are watching us will continue to follow both of us and um, really see where we go uh, in the party going into the next couple of years and going into Reno. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, if you enjoyed our show tonight, uh, please make sure to uh, like and follow our YouTube and Facebook channel. And of course, go to wherever you get your favorite podcasts from and subscribe to Taxation is Theft. Just look for Taxation is Theft. We're the only podcast called Taxation is Theft. And if you listen really close to me, you'll hear me say Taxation is Theft at least once or twice during the Taxation is Theft show. Believe it or not. Thank you guys so much. I will catch you next time. Taxation is theft. See, there you go again. I just can't. <laughs>